Thank you so much. How are you guys doing? Doing good? Um, it's such a pleasure getting to be here with you. It's a little bit of a surprise for me. If it's a surprise for you and you're hoping to see Evan, uh, I apologize. But uh, Evan gave me a call um, a couple of days ago and uh, talked with him yesterday on the phone. Just want to give you just a, a quick update. Uh, Sandy had to un- undergo a second surgery on Friday, and that surgery went well. And so she is now at home and she's recovering. Uh, but what they would love for you to do is a couple things. One, just continue just to pray. Um, and they are encouraged with where she's at right now. Um, but just let's, as a community, we'll continue to lift her up, lift the family up. Um, but also wanted to invite you back next week uh, because Evan um, is eager to share just a little bit more the details of the journey. Um, and so if you've been curious about the ambiguity of what's going on, um, rather than feeling like you have to text them, figure it out, just come next week, um, whether you're in person or online, um, and they would love to share from their heart what's going on. But it's something we can all do right now is just continue to be praying for them. Um, and like Elias uh, said, my name is Benji, and it's, it's been amazing getting to journey along with you guys um, up in Encinitas. Um, but we really feel like our hearts are tied with this community. So from the bottom of my heart, my wife Jen's heart, and our community in um, Light Church, uh, thank you for letting us be here today. Uh, do me a favor. Go ahead and take out a Bible if you have one. Take out a phone if you don't. There's amazing Bible apps that you can download. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 11 and verses two through four is the Lord's prayer. I want you to screenshot that. I want you to kind of have your finger there because here's why. Um, We are going to be talking about God's vision for our attention. And as I was preparing, I understood that there's going to be planes flying over periodically throughout this message. And so here's what I'd like to do, whether you're watching online, whether you're here, when we come to a pause, I would like for all of us just to turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer and meditate on it, read as slow as you'd like. And then once the sound dies down, we'll jump back into the message. But at the end of the message, we're going to circle back to the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to be practicing what we preach during the message. Sound good? Okay, you guys all have there. Luke 11 uh, verses 2 through 4 is the Lord's Prayer in Luke's Gospel. Our teaching passage is actually going to be the passage just above that at the end of chapter 10. Um, So you won't have to travel far But as uh, Evan gave me a a call and asked me to be here today, I just began praying for you, praying for this community and asking the Lord, God, is there something that you like for us to dive into today? We're taking a little bit of a pause from the series on 1 Corinthians, and that'll start up again next week. And so this is just a moment just for us to just step into something, to step into a theme and begin to ask what's God's heart for this. And I felt really pressed on just to really share out of my own experience Uh, something of my own journey, specifically over the past six to seven months. I don't know about you, but when uh, quarantine began and and COVID began to kind of take its effect here in the States, the very first month of this was extremely difficult for me. Let's go ahead and just take a moment. And of course, it's difficult for everyone, 
It's difficult for uh, a whole lot of different spectrums. But for me personally, as a pastor of a local church here in San Diego, that first month was incredibly uh, difficult. I remember sitting with a couple of my friends and just explaining, I feel more discouraged now than I ever have been before. The problem was I didn't really have necessarily a good reason to. Everything wasn't like I was facing my own personal crisis in that moment. But what I began to realize is that discouragement was starting to eat away at me. I ended up about a month into it being on a, a Zoom call with the different, some different pastors from around the States. And there's a guy named John Tyson who pastors in New York City. And he said something to, in that, just in passing, that literally changed the trajectory of the past few months for me. And what he began to say to this group of pastors, he says, everybody's asking how the church should respond. And he said, wrong question. He said, what we should be asking is, what is God saying? He then went on to say a few other things, but I couldn't stop thinking about that statement because I was consumed with this question, how should we respond? How do I respond? How do I react as a husband, as a father, as a pastor? What do I do? And this, this haunting question was driving me into despair. And then he just stops and says, wrong question. The question we need to be asking is what is God saying? And I cannot describe the amount of peace that came over me. And I can't help but imagine that maybe this isn't just a pastoral issue. Maybe this is a human issue. That we can be caught up with this idea of how should we respond, which really means that we have to know where to go and what does the future hold. And that's eventually going to just leave us with this sense of ambiguity and emptiness. But rather, maybe rather than looking towards the future and looking towards our actions and our behavior, maybe there is an internal posture of our heart that needs to be reoriented towards God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how there is a war going on for our attention. I think it's interesting that the number one documentary right now is The Social Dilemma on Netflix. And it's this this fascinating study and really this confession from all these tech companies of just talking about how there is a war for our attention. What's interesting is that didn't start in 2007. That's been going on for thousands of years, that before this was a social dilemma, this was a spiritual dilemma. That there is an attention and a focus that we have as human beings that is constantly being warred over. And I believe that this is a morning that we can take some ground back. We can take some inventory of our lives, our behaviors, and our minds, and to begin to ask the Lord, do you have our attention, God? Are we posturing ourselves to hear what you have to say for you to be directing our lives? And rather than giving in to these really strong currents that are around us. Matter of fact, The Atlantic Magazine just came out with some research where the CEO of Zoom, Eric Yuan, said this. And the service numbers of daily meeting participants had gone from 10 million in December to 200 million in March. Daily usage of Google's video conferencing platforms increased 25 times higher than what it was in January. 
According to Facebook, messaging across its services was up 50%, and at the end of March, in the countries hit hardest by the pandemic, the video calling had more than doubled on Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp in the areas with major COVID-19 outbreaks. And so there is this... There is this tendency that when we face crisis, we immediately want to divert our attention to something. Let's do that to the Lord's Prayer for a second. It's too good, isn't it? (laughs) This is exactly what we experience in our lives, these moments that cause us to just redirect our our attention, whether it's a a pandemic, whether it's social issues, whether it's a relational issue, whether there's something going on with a family member that seemed to just interrupt and stop what's going on. I I remember that this is, this isn't something that's just been a part of the pandemic. I remember one of my kids one time coming to try and get my attention and and they're and, and I know what they're doing. They're just saying, Dad, Dad, Dad. And, and I'm right in the middle of like a really important email, right? I'm not I wasn't even doing something like social media, something. I was doing something important. And I remember when my my daughter looks at me, she's like, Hey, phone boy. <laughs> I was like, What? <laughs> she's like, Dad, can I have some milk? I said, Yes, but I don't think I like that you called me phone boy. Um, but that there is this sense where like it kind of got my my own attention like okay there's a sense of presence there's a sense of focus that my daughter's asking of me and so I want to give you one one more quote from John Tyson he says this attention leads to adoration but distraction leads to disillusionment attention leads to adoration but distraction leads to disillusionment there has never been a time in my life and i would argue very very few times in the life of humanity that has laid siege on our attention and it's time for the holy spirit to empower us to reclaim that to step back into that so our text today is going to be luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42 says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was, here it is, distracted. The Greek word there is perispao, means to be drawn away. She was drawn away. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. And if you ever see things repeated multiple times in Scripture, that, that means that the author is using an exclamation mark. So you can almost imagine Jesus interrupting Martha in the middle of her complaint. Just Martha just coming is like, can you believe this? Mary's just sitting there. Jesus, come on, say something, do something, like get her attention. She's not doing what's culturally appropriate right now. There's, there's things to be done. I invited you over to my house and you should, and as she's just, just over, just spewing out these things, Jesus is almost like, Martha, stop. Before you go any further, says the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. I can't think of two words to describe the cultural climate we're in right now, more than worried and upset. 
about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, love is only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Is that not good news or what? We have something that is so powerful that it cannot be taken away from us. But it begins, and you see right here, it began with a choice that Mary made. So I want to just draw three themes from this story that can help us just gain some understanding of what's going on. Why is it so hard to keep our attention on the things we're supposed to be keeping them? So three things. The enemy of our attention is distraction. Two, the fruit of our intention is transformation. And number three, the trajectory of our attention is adoration. Let's work through these three different themes we see in the scriptures. Number one, the enemy of our, of our attention is distraction. So quick definition of distraction. Distraction is poorly stewarded attention. That's all distraction is. Distraction is actually your attention is just stewarded and placed in wrong places. And so this is something for us to, to keep in mind that when we're distracted, really it's just misplaced attention. Ronald Rollheiser says this, we are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, rest in peace, and the shopping mall and the fantasy, and the fantasy life produced in us than we are in the church. Pathological busyness, distractions, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual life. St. Augustine says it like this, from the noise that is around us to the joys that are silent, why do we rush about? We are looking for God who is here at home with us. I think this adequately described what I was feeling back in March and April rushing about, not physically, mentally. I was just going from one thing to one thing, from one article to one post to this thing. There's got to be an answer. There's got to be a sense of assurance. And the whole time, the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit is calling me back home, asking, yearning, drawing my attention back to Him. But I had to be awoken. I had to wake up to this idea that I was poorly stewarding my attention and that God wanted it back. I think about Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, his manifesto of kingdom life, when he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Down in verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom. This word seek, this resolute focus, chasing after God's kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. That's our first theme we have to realize that distraction is the enemy of our attention and distraction is just poorly stewarded attention. 
Second theme we see here is that the fruit of our attention, what comes from our attention ultimately is transformation. Our attention transforms us. What we fixate on changes us. I mean, listen to this. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. The things that Martha was focusing on and what her attention was giving to had manifested itself in such a palpable way that she's rebuking the Son of God. I mean, this is what happens when we give our, our undivided attention into things that really we shouldn't be. All of a sudden, we find ourselves at war within ourselves and sometimes even at war with God. And Jesus interrupts her. says, Mary's chosen what is better and it will not be taken away. Michael Wilcock has a great commentary on this passage says that when Jesus expects us to follow him all the way, he means not a frenzy of religious activity undertaken in our own strength, but the total abandonment of ourselves to him. Love that line. For him to work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When, when we give something our undivided attention, it does something within us. I, I remember... The moment when I saw my wife walk down the aisle, like it was yesterday. I mean, I remember standing there at the age of 20 years old, just in the most embarrassing wedding outfit you've ever seen. You can ask me for a picture later. It's true. Just a white suit with rainbow sandals and a puka shell necklace, thinking I'm so cool in San Diego. But I remember the moment when she turns the corner and everything around me disappeared. I, I kid you not that the thing like my heart skipped to be, I felt it physically in my body. I've never seen anything more beautiful in my life. I couldn't, I couldn't believe what was happening to me and everything changed in that instant. I began to change. That moment, that, that moment of, a, of a intense attention changed me. And this is the, the power of what happens. What Mary was doing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this in a second, was changing her. What Martha was doing and giving her attention to was not change. It was changing her, but settling her into the exact same place that she would find herself in, in, in weeks and months later. What we give our attention to transforms us. This is why James in 125 says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the law of freedom, right? What Jesus comes to bring us, whoever looks intently and continues into it, forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Lyon Ford in his book, The Attentive Life, says this, each of us is called to a life pattern by Christ, a life not shaped by inner compulsions or captive to our outer expectations, but grown by the inner voice of love. I'm just going to read that last sentence again. We should not have a life shaped by inner compulsions or captive to outer expectations, but grown by the inner voice of love. The problem is that inner voice of love oftentimes, although powerful, is quiet which means if we're not intentional with our attention, it will be given somewhere else. 
Don't think for a second that you can just hear a sermon and your attention changes because five minutes after leaving here, you're going to smell something good. You're going to see something good and it'll be given to that. We have to have intentionality for our attention to change because our attention will either be captured by desire, by deceit, by destruction, or by discipline. And if we discipline our souls to give our attention over to the Lord with that intention, we will begin to be changed. I mean, just just think about Peter who's walking on the water. Jesus calls him to himself. It's And, and he's locking eyes with Jesus. And by the way, this is found in Matthew chapter 14. You can look it up. And as, as long as his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he's walking on water. And the minute that his eyes go to the waves is when he begins to sink. His buoyancy didn't change. His focus did. But man, isn't it easier to look at the thousands of waves than just two eyes right in front of us? This has to become something that we approach with the, the, the practices of Jesus, the spiritual disciplines that we see Jesus living out and choosing. I don't want to be the product of misplaced attention. I want to be someone with intention to say, Jesus, you get my gaze, all of it, all the time. Never letting it linger and go somewhere else. And our third point is this, the, traje- the trajectory of our attention is our adoration. So where is our attention going? What happens if we give something our attention for a long period of time? It ends up in worship. Period. You look long enough at a sports team, they'll become your sports team. Any Lakers fans in the house? That's what I like to hear. I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, so that made me really happy. I was worried. And I know no one's a Suns fan, so that's, I'm not going to ask that question. But I've given my life to watching the Phoenix Suns. I was born in Phoenix. So guess what? When I see their logo, when I see the colors, when I see a random stranger walking down the street wearing, wearing a jersey, there's something in my heart that says, yes, that's a good Christian right there. I know. There's something about when you give your attention long enough, you begin to have adoration for it. And this is true. Think about what this means for our relationship with God. So fast forward, I love this. I don't know but if you knew this, but Mary and Martha show up in John's gospel in a, t- a different story. In John chapter 11, their brother Lazarus dies and they call for Jesus, who's his best friend, to come and Jesus waits four days. And so when he finally shows up, Martha and Mary are obviously upset. And Martha, surprise, surprise, is the first one to come and do what? Rebuke Jesus. So she comes and says, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus responds to her by saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's this beautiful exchange. Please read it. I wish we had more time. Mary's still at the house. They tell Mary that Jesus has come and she comes out to him with all of these people grieving with her. And she gets and she says the same thing. Where were you? If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I loved in this moment. It says that Jesus weeps with her. Same sisters. And I believe in that moment, Jesus met them exactly where they were in the midst of their own loss and grief. But if you keep reading in John chapter 12, there's another dinner party thrown. Did you understand? This is number two. Mary and Martha are there. Guess what Martha's doing? Let's read this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived and Jesus had raised him from the dead. 
Here a dinner was given to Jesus' honor. It's a different dinner. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. By the way, serving is not bad, obviously. We're called to that. And here we don't see anything negative about Martha serving. I want to point that out. There's no rebuke given. She's probably doing exactly what her gifting is. But I want you to see what Mary's response is in this moment after Jesus just raised her brother from the dead. It says, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I mean, come on. I, I don't think that this is by accident that the one who found herself sitting at the Lord's feet found herself there again, but this time with an overwhelming, profound sense of sacrifice to the point where she would get a pound of pure nard, which would have been about a year's worth of salary. The only reason she would have had that was for two reasons. One, it would have been her bride price. It would have been her ticket to get married. Or secondly, it would have been what had been used for her most honored family member's burial, probably last Lazarus's. And so in this moment, she takes what is probably the most precious thing in her possession and she breaks it open and she takes her hair with an ancient Jewish tradition was her greatest personal belonging of glory and begins to wipe off the dirt of Jesus's feet in this radical, provocative display of adoration. And I can't help but think this is the same one who couldn't stop just listening because what we give our attention to will lead to our adoration. So don't think for a second that we can spend our lives showing up on church and binging everything else and think that we won't start worshiping other idols in our lives. Because Jesus isn't after us just giving him a head nod or a couple hours or a couple minutes. He wants our hearts. He's always wanted our hearts. This is a spiritual dilemma that we're facing more than anything else. And God is desperate for his children to come back to him. And listen, it may not be loud. It might not look like, like Elijah's experience in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. It doesn't look like an earthquake or fire or thunder. It looks like that still small voice, but that still small voice holds more power than all the other voices of the world. But we've got to listen. We have to position our hearts and lives to say, you have it all. I love what Dallas Willard says in his, his pastor's guides to effective ministry. He says this, the first and most basic thing we must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret for caring for our souls. We have to keep God before our minds. So we have to understand these three themes that we find in the scripture. Listen, uh, the enemy of our attention will always be distractions. The trajectory of our attention will form us. It'll transform us. And thirdly, what we give our attention to will lead to our worship. I, I, but I want to conclude here and I want to flip the table a little bit. Because as much as I want to be up here and I want to just implore you and inspire you, please give God your attention. It would be inappropriate for me to do that without telling you the greatest ingredient, the greatest truth that comes along with that. And here it is. If you hear anything that I've said today, please hear this. God has given you his attention. God is the great attender to your soul. This is why the psalmist says, who is man that you are mindful 
of him. Come on, can you sit with this reality today? The God in heaven is attentive to you. He sees you, whatever you're going through right now. He sees the confusion. He sees the pain. He sees the worry. And he's watching every bit of it. He has not taken his eyes off you for a second. Again, Lighten Forward in his book, The Attentive Life, describes it like this. The story of the Bible is not merely the story of a deity who launched the cosmos and then turned his attention elsewhere. Quite the contrary. It reveals a God who is mindful and who keeps paying attention, whose mind does not wander. He is the Father who watches with careful attention. This is the very nature of God and a truth that touches the deepest longing of our lives. God is the one who is attending to us, who has never taken his eyes off or his heart off of every single one of you, off of this church. His care and compassion for us is staggering. The problem is we forget that all the time. So we begin to start looking for counterfeit versions of love and care and security and prestige and success and significance, something out there to tell us who we are and our worth. And the entire time, God's like, I'm right here. If you would just listen and press into me, I have truth to give you that the world could never display. Thomas Kelly, in his book, A Testament of Devotion, says, We must cease trying to make ourselves the dictators and God the listener. And we must become the joyful listeners to him, the master who does all things well. Last story, I'm going to invite Phil to come, come back up. In the World War II, World War I era, the French philosopher Simone Weil became a really powerful influence in France, even though she died at the age of 33. Her writings today are still studied. And what's interesting about this philosopher and this teacher is she had a dramatic conversion to Christ. And as she has this dramatic conversion to Christ, she becomes famous for describing prayer ultimately is attention. True prayer is attention. And she had this belief that if we would pray the Lord's Prayer with full and undivided attention, it would change. As a matter of fact, let me read you a quote from her. She says, The Our Father prayer contains all possible petitions. We cannot conceive of any prayer not already contained in it. It is to prayer what Christ is to humanity. It is impossible to say it once through, giving our fullest possible attention to each word without a change, infinitesimal but real, taking place in our soul. So in the beginning of this talk, I asked you to pull up the Lord's Prayer. The reason for that is when you read the scriptures, we see chapters and verses, and, and I know you guys sit under such amazing teaching, you know that those weren't there originally. And so Luke, as he's compiling his gospel, 
Guess what he places right after the story of Mary and Martha? The Lord's Prayer. And I love Simone Weil's observation. She's like, if we would give God our full undivided attention and pray the Lord's Prayer, we would change. So this is what we're going to do. Is I want you to read it wherever you are. And I want you to give your full undivided attention to each word, specifically the first one. Father. The father who looks intently at each one of his children. And by the way, if you don't have that kind of relationship with God, you don't understand God as your father. You don't have a, a friendship with Jesus. You don't understand him as your Lord and Savior. What a great moment to do that. As you pray this prayer with us, would you pray it as an act of surrender? Inviting Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Inviting the Father to come and truly father your heart. To surrender your life. Surrender your attention to him. So I'm going to read this slowly. And afterwards, we're going to, we're going to spend some time worshiping. But my, man, my hope and my prayer is that you leave here today and that you would see this as some homework. I mean, honestly, look at your calendar. Look at your appointments. Look at the rhythms of your life that have obviously been disrupted the past few months. Can we now not just react to what the world has given us, but respond to how the Holy Spirit's leading us? To give him our full attention. Let's read the Lord's Prayer together. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Lord, we give you our attention. Empower us, Holy Spirit, right now. And in the coming weeks and months that are promised to be filled with distractions and disillusionment, we choose to ask the question, what is God saying? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.